infiltrating Nazis, flirting with women, and keeping secrets without being seen. It's Invisible Agent. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. James Bond had zero sex appeal. That's what this movie is. <laughs> Welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast. This is the bargain basement of the Monster Podcasting Airwaves. This week, Alex, we are discussing Invisible Agent. I already mentioned your name, but I am glad to reintroduce you, the finger breaker himself, Alex. Ooh. All right. And the, <laughs> the Sapuku committer. Eric. Oh man, <laughs> have you ever have you ever broken any bones, Alex? Um, yeah, I broke my foot right down the middle, uh, horizontally, and then I've broken. How did you do that? Uh, believe it or not, this is this is weird. Um, is I think it's one of those things like where you is almost broken for a long time, but then it just eventually yeah. snapped. It, it didn't actually snap. It didn't actually snap. It just cracked right down the middle. But I, I took a shot from half court during a game in elementary school. Uh, and when I went down, it, my middle of my foot broke. That is wild. Yeah, I think I had bad shoes on, first off. Like, my parents, yeah. I was not wearing basketball shoes. Like, my parents were like, no, nah, we're not going to buy those for him right now. <laughs> and then that happened because I, I shot a free, it was a half court shot at halftime. Yeah, it was really a setback in your basketball right. career. Right. Well, I mean, that's why I didn't go pro. Yeah. Um, and, and my parents told me to walk it off. And so, like, for three or four days, it was still hurting. And then eventually they took me to the doctor. And the doctor was like, yeah, it's broken. This is a, this is a glowing podcast episode yeah. for your parents. Yeah, I know. Already. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still hold that over their head. Um, and then uh, I broke my orbital socket, which is, you know, Ooh. your eye. Yeah. Um, that was during basketball too. Now that I'm thinking about it, someone threw an elbow, caught me right uh-huh. there. Oh my god, wow. that was a lot of pain. Ooh. Like everything went, all the colors changed. It was very strange. The next morning, I blew my nose and it inflated. My, like it was black and blue the next day, but it I blew my nose. And imagine if your eye looks normal, you know, black and blue, and then you yeah. blow your nose and it swells up in an instant and Whoa. shuts your eye. It was so weird. Ugh. Yeah, Sounds so I've done terrible. that, and then I think I broke my finger and just never got it fixed. Um, yeah. As I said, you were the finger breaker, so <laughs> I'm the finger breaker. But I think that's it. What about you, Dang. Eric? No, zero broken bones for me. Really? Yeah, yeah. Do you never I, live life? What's wrong? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I, I know that's uh, that's that's the assumption, but I think I was just nimble. So, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've got like weird things going. Like I've got a little bone in my hand that's floating, and it oh. hurts if I hit it. Um, but I've had it for yeah. a very long time. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. A little bit of everything, I guess. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, Cece's pointing to my elbow. Oh, I did hit my elbow on on my daughter's shelf, and uh-huh. it has been hurting something awful for a while. But it actually got better. And then I had I had a tree fall down in my backyard, and so I spent like the day chainsawing. And the next day, my elbow started hurting. Actually, started feeling oh, better. Um, oh boy! 
I think I think it's healed up, but CC thinks I I may have like fractured something. I say it'll heal. What's the doctor going to do? I've got some ailments, but no bone ailments, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, real quick, Alex, before we get into Invisible Agent and uh, after talking about our injuries, <laughs> I do want to take a quick second to once again, as we said last week, I really just want to thank all of our patrons, patrons, our bargain base, my <laughs> patrons again this week. Um, and really single out a couple of them as we kind of go through our list here this week. I wanted to single out Michael Hamilton, um, long time friend of ours now, right? Since the beginning of this show, Michael has been a supporter and really friend. And he is the one who created our newest logo. So, mm-hmm. Michael's great. Um, he's got his own podcast. And he created Kaiju. our own logo, too. He created our own logo, too. Yeah. <laughs> so he has been a big help. And he's a supporter. So when we paid him for that, it was really just giving him his money back <laughs> for supporting us on, on Patreon. Uh, but honestly, uh, he, he's been great. And uh, was, I'll mention more about Michael here in just a second. Uh, Michael Herndon is our, our next one, executive producer, Michael Herndon. The nicest guy you will ever meet mm-hmm. is Michael Herndon. Um, <laughs> every day is a good day to Michael Herndon, and that's what we really appreciate about him. Uh, he's honestly one of the inspirations for this series, Universal yeah, Monsters. Yeah, he is. I, I doubt we would I, – I don't know. I don't know if – for sure, we would have done the series if it wasn't for Michael Herndon. So. I don't know if it would have crossed my mind. He was the yeah. first one that kind of brought it to my attention. Yep. So big shout shout out to Michael Herndon, and then lastly, uh, another longtime supporter, Jay, our friend Jay, like that we actually know in person, who lives here in Lexington with me. Jay and I just went and saw the Batman last week. Um, so I mean, Jay is has been our friend for a long time, Alex, and uh, mm-hmm. is a great supporter. He probably doesn't. I don't think he listens to our show. <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Thanks for going to all those movies with me. Not. <laughs> hey, last thing before we get into our movie, Alex. I do want to take a second and acknowledge the fact and appreciate the life of Akira Takarada, who just passed away mm. this past week since we've recorded um, a couple episodes. So we are a little bit ahead. I know this will be like a month late by the time it's released. But I did want to just take a second and appreciate Akira Takarada. And I wanted to ask you, Alex, what is your... So on on Letterboxd, I was looking at it. Um, In Letterboxd, he has got several credits to his name. I mean, it's like 60-something. And we have seen nine, I think. Or we have watched eight of 67 Akira Takarada films. So Mm -hmm. he is in a lot more than we've ever seen. But just in the films that we've seen, he has been a presence in our entire Godzilla and Toho series. So, so my question to you before we get into this week's review, what is, has been your favorite Akira Takarada role? My favorite Akira Takarada role? I guess say, and for some reason, I don't know why this one always comes up, Eric. But when he's Yashimura and Ever Horror of the Deep, and also him as the astronaut in Invasion of Astro Monster. Yeah. Uh, those are the two most memorable ones for me, for him. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm partially with you here. 
I will say that uh, Yoshimura <laughs> is one of my favorite roles it, just in any of um, the films that we've seen him in, in any Godzilla film. I, I love that character. He reminds me of Brad Pitt for whatever reason in that role. I'm like, he's just a movie star. I, I really love his role in Ebra, Horror of the Deep. Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, Alex, is what you're thinking of, I think, right? Which is kind of like the... Yeah, yeah, that was the American... Title. Yeah, yeah, that was the American name of it. American title, yeah. Uh, the other role that really stands out to me, because it's just such a, a character that I really liked, is Ichiro Sakai in Mothra versus Godzilla, the reporter, uh, yeah. who really has a character arc. Um, we get some really great character work in Mothra versus Godzilla, and it's his performance in that one um, that really sells that role. So, honestly, Akira Takarada is the Godzilla legend. I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody um, bigger in the Godzilla franchise as a whole, as far as actors are concerned, than Akira Takarada. Would you agree with that? I would say that that is a reasonable statement. I think maybe some people might be able to debate you a little bit on like who's been in the most movies. But uh, he's definitely Has anybody been in more movies than Akira Takarada? I don't know, but I'm sure someone else does. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> Let us know. I, I think he's. I think he's the most prominent actor in in the Godzilla filmography. Um, that I could be wrong about that, but I think he is, and he's always a pleasure to have in a Godzilla film. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And after this, I'm going to go watch Ebra Horror of the Deep again, I think. Ooh, I don't blame you. I yeah. always feel like watching Ebra Horror of the Deep, though. That's one of those anytime Godzilla movies. It is. It is an anytime Godzilla movie. All right, man. Ready for Invisible Agent? I'm ready. All right. With the fourth installment of the Invisible Man series, Invisible Agent ties Frankenstein as the most so far of the Universal films. Ooh. But unlike Frankenstein, the Invisible films have all varied in tone, style, and content. Does this new direction for this film work? Or do you have any idea where we might go next with this? Because it's, it's, it's kind of a complex question, right? There's so much here. Where is this going to go next? Does this direction of this film work for you, Alex? Yeah, I mean, so... I think the general direction and idea, the concept of the film, I think it could have worked really well. Like this could have been like an exceptional film. Uh, and I actually think it really does start off pretty strong. Like I'm all about this brawl at what is this? A laundromat? A printing press? What, what is this place? Printing press. At? Printing press. I think. So yeah. I, that's right. Because <laughs> they're going in to buy ads. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, ads for laundry, probably. That's right. So. That whole thing is pretty awesome. Um, that whole sequence, I was mm -hmm. like really hyped on this film. That, mm -hmm. You know, the dialogue, the characters are all playing off each other. It's just really cool. Like I was all in on this movie. I couldn't believe how all in I was. You know, I thought it was, be, it was, I thought it was so interesting. Uh, and I, was, I thought I was going to have something really interesting to say about our entry in the World War II. You know, we get this almost like a, interesting parallel that we've seen before uh and this is this is pre-atomic bomb but this is someone who doesn't want to give a weapon up to the government because of what they could do and that's even his own government not just germany or these countries that are wanting it but 
his own government. He's worried about how what a weapon will do if it falls into the wrong hands. Very ahead of its time if people kind of relate this to something like uh, Godzilla, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was very cool. Now we see that eventually he gives in, you know, World War II starts and he's like, okay, but only if I have control. I thought Mm -hmm. that was actually really cool too. Unfortunately, the film is like, it's rocking and rolling until we get to this dinner scene between Maria and (laughs) what was his name? Um, Uh, Not Stopper, Heiser. Heiser. Um, between Maria and Heiser. And it is just... Whew. Like, you know, Frank has these invisible hijinks that are ensuing during this weird dinner. Um, you know, I don't necessarily mind a few invisible hijinks, but golly, this went on for so long. It was kind of painful at some point. So yeah, like, at first this direction really worked, but ultimately... The film does lose its way uh, at this dinner scene. It kind of meanders a little bit. Now, I don't. I'll talk a little bit more about the ending a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't. I, I think the attempts to perform comedy in this film mostly fall flat. Uh, but as for the the future of the Invisible series and where that kind of goes, I have no idea. You know, I was thinking a little less hijinks would be nice. Um, unless we establish this as a comedy like The Invisible Woman. Um, yeah, right. But since we're entering World War II at this point, uh, we'll see. I feel mm. like it might be a little, play a little more seriously, but I have no idea, man. Yeah, I, I have no idea where The Invisible series is going to go. Uh, um, at, I, who knows at this point, right? <laughs> and this film in particular, I think we have some real issues with. I mean, mm. if you're wanting mild amusement, mild spy thrills and mild offensive content. Well, that's what you're going to get in an invisible agent. Uh, Honestly, once again, it all comes back to tone and tone management. This film doesn't know if it wants to be a serious spy thriller, a political commentary or a comedy. Mm -hmm. Now the right film could potentially balance some of these components, but this one just doesn't succeed. It's not as if the Nazis haven't been dealt with in a comedic way before, though, right? Like, it can be done. Just a few years prior to this film, uh, Charlie Chaplin did it spectacularly in The Great Dictator. And just a few years ago for us, uh, we had Jojo Rabbit, which I know lots of people were mixed on, uh, but I think did better than this, totally. There are some good moments of drama here, interpersonally, between Griffin Jr. uh, and a few confrontations. I liked his conversation with Stoffer in which he was supposed to keep on rocking. That was an interesting, mm. tense moment. And I'm with you. I like those opening moments where he's avoiding getting losing his fingers and giving <laughs> information. And you had that interesting back and forth between the characters. That was very promising. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think these are some high moments of the film that you mentioned there. When we actually get these characters interacting with each other like humans rather than uh, something to play a joke off of, <laughs> you know, we're not exploiting the invisibility for comedy's sake. That's when this film really shines. And I actually enjoy the uneasy alliance between Japan and Germany and the way that whole wraps up with the great performance of uh, Peter Lore. Um as Baron Akito, like this guy is intimidating and really mm. gives off this merciless murder vibe uh, and him killing Stoffer in that brutal scene at the, um, 
uh, I want to say I want to call it a consulate, but that's not what it is. Yeah. Um, but when he kills him, like that's actually a pretty brutal scene. Like, yes, we don't get explicit visuals, but it it kind of is, especially for the time. I feel like. Indeed. No, honestly, Baron Aikido is an interesting character. As much as I like Peter Lorre, though, you probably should have cast a Japanese person as Baron Aikido. Oh, that, but, yeah. yeah, I mean, but with that said, um, I did find that interesting as well. Like, I thought, I thought the fact that they didn't quite trust each other, um, he always seemed like he had ulterior motives, even from the beginning, right? So that was interesting. What was not interesting <laughs> was the romance in this film. <laughs> uh, I know Universal is reaching out to a broad audience, but looking at it from a modern lens, the romance just falls flat. Uh, to return to tone management again, I think an example of what I'm trying to say, um, and this is, I guess, getting away from the romance now, but to, to kind of just tell you what I mean, though, Alex, is after the Baron and Stoffer have been killed, um, and Heiser becomes the big bad. I think the the film also just loses any good momentum that it had built. Right? It just doesn't work because Heiser has already proven himself to be incompetent in comedically inept ways. So when he's chasing Griffin and Maria, we don't feel like he's a threat at all. Mm-hmm. We feel like he's a joke. That's so the true. climactic moments of the film feel like a punchline instead of tense, like they should. We also don't get any effects-wise in this film. We don't get any effects that we haven't seen before, which makes me a bit tired of the gimmick. Mm, Um, Granted, we're watching these films back-to-back in a marathon style, but still, I think the gimmick is getting a bit old for me at this point. So we just need a strong story to grasp onto and capture our imaginations for hopefully the next one, Alex, because <laughs> this one really just didn't capture my imagination too much. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with some of it, but I actually disagree with some of this. Um, I think once the fish hook net is dropped on Frank, the film actually gets back on track for me the, uh, for the most part, you know, the whole, uh, I thought the word embassy, the whole embassy sequence is great. And I'm, I'm going to probably mention it a couple of times because I was actually really, really impressed and a little surprised by it. Um, you know, the killing of Heiser by Stoffer's loyal men. Uh-huh. I actually really like this moment. You know, yes, he is now the leader, but Stoffer's men don't know. And so they take him out and they and I actually think it's kind of cool and it makes sense. I do agree. Heiser is never uh, a threatening force. You're totally right about that. Like after Stoffer dies, there isn't really an impending threat. Um now, the stealing of the bomber, I actually think it's pretty fun. And I like that it gets shot down and they have to jump out because um, Frank succumbs to his wounds. You know, I mean, the, the whole the whole fish hook thing, that was kind of brutal, too. You know, I like that it leaves it to your imagination since he is invisible. Mm. Um, but you would imagine that that was a pretty miserable <laughs> existence for a while there. Yeah. Um, and we also get some really fun miniature work during the chase sequence, which I think actually bridges the gap with Heiser being useless. Um, and we getting some fun miniatures, some tankers slipping over some explosions, actually some pretty cool effects that are not invisible related that I appreciated. Um, and I actually, you know, I don't like the romance, but I don't think it's as bad as you thought. I think it's just fine. 
And it's nowhere near the level, thank goodness, as something like the Ghost of Frankenstein, <laughs> where it mm. just completely derails the entire movie. Um, but what I really probably found the most interesting about this movie, though, is not necessarily the content in terms of intended content of the film, but more of the snapshot nature of the feelings of Americans toward, at the time, what we considered two evil entities. And I would I'm not going to argue with that. The, the empire of Japan and the German Nazis. At the time, we had only been attacked outright by Japan. And you can see that sentiment, those sentiments here. You see how merciless, intelligent, and mysterious Japan is depicted here. Which is why you don't have a Japanese actor playing this character. While, and remember, Pearl Harbor just happened the year before this. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. while that's interesting... I understand there's logistical reasons. Yes. And, <laughs> there's logistical reasons. And while that's interesting, look at how they compare Japan versus the Germans. And how they're each depicted differently. The majority of the Nazis are depicted, depicted as bumbling buffoons and idiots who murder anyone for the smallest of reasons. Yes, the man at the top is interesting and even dangerous, but everyone else underneath him is laughable. I mean, the moment that I've referenced twice already, you know, the end that shows outright, you know, who America at the time is maybe more scared of. Japan kills Germany in a pretty graphic fashion. I think that these moments add to the film for me, especially when you consider that at the time of the movie's production was starting, we hadn't really even begun fighting the Nazis. Mm. So America hadn't really even incurred any sort of casualty of war just yet. So our impression of the Nazis is from over the sea, whereas Germany has hit us at home, which I thought was a really cool Japan. snapshot in this yeah. film. Yeah. Japan has hit us at home. Yes, Japan's uh, at home. Yeah, no, I, I I see what you're saying. I I I I think I find the I don't know. I didn't think they went far enough with with their interpretation of the Nazis. Actually, they just kind of seemed seemed middling. Like yeah, they weren't funny enough, but they also weren't dangerous enough. They they weren't threatening, nor were they as incompetent as they could have been. Uh, again, I, I would point to the great dictator uh, from a couple of years uh, before this, which I'm sure was an influence on this film to see some pretty comedic moments um, that, that lean in that direction with uh, the Germans. So that's interesting. And yeah, the, the t feeling at the time, and this is definitely reflected here, definitely demonstrates kind of the fear that we had I guess, of Japan as the other, right? Um, they are kind of the bigger threat in, in, in a lot of ways, at least the kind of the sneaky threat, um, which, which reflects how most Americans probably did view Japan during this time period. Um, about the film itself, and so those are good points, Alex. I, I think you're, you're right on the money there. I don't have much else to say about this film, to be honest. <laughs> um, but I know the next film in the series is called The Invisible Man's Revenge. So I'm hoping this hmm. leans back into that monster horror element because as it stands right now, that's far more interesting to me than the hero element we've encountered yeah. in the last two films. Invisible Woman was better, definitely, because it leaned into the comedy and it created 
vivid characters that had great chemistry. Yes. So the gags really worked. Here, I don't think we get into any characters that have too much chemistry, unfortunately. Mm. At the end of the day, if you're going to make a comedy about Nazis, it definitely has a chance to be disastrous. <laughs> and this one is on the borderline there, right? Uh, for me, at least. Yeah. Because of the way that it's it doesn't commit one way or the other. I agree that the comedy is not good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Sure. Well, hey, Alex, on NVM Plus today, uh, we're actually starting something new. We have a, a new solo miniseries on the early silent universal horror films. This week, I'm looking at The Hunchback uh, from Notre Dame and explore why I love silent films in the first place. Ooh. So now we've mentioned silent films twice with The Great Dictator, which isn't technically a silent film. There's this uh, speech at the end. Uh, of the great dictator, which is really cool. Which is but, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've seen that. You, I'm sure you have. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this, I will say, Alex, listeners will have to tell me what they think about this solo episode. It, it's a little different to do a review solo. I, I'm going to get a little bit better at it because we've got a couple more to go. We've got about four of these early universal horror silent films. So I'm, I'm going to get better at it. Uh, the first one, I, I, there's some tweaks I, I know I need to make, but I, I'd like to hear some feedback uh, from any of our MVM Plus listeners. You can listen to that mini review uh, and all of our MVM Plus content over on patreon.com forward slash MVM pod. Mm. Let's go ahead and get into our awards, Alex. Yeah, for sure. All right. Who'd you have for your compelling character award? Uh, I had Baron Akito. I mm-hmm. think he's actually pretty terrifying, right? Not only is he terrifying, though, but he is probably the most mysterious character in the film because he is so quiet. But when he does say stuff, you know, you're listening. Mm-hmm. And so I got to give him the most compelling character award because I wanted to know more about the character. Yes. And, you know, kind of know what his past is because he's got a shady past. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Just, you All can, of a sudden, he's a, like a kung fu expert at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he, he's a, he's unstoppable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, what about what about you, Eric? What do you got? Well, I've got another mysterious character. I said I didn't like the romance in this film, but I did like Maria Sorensen. She definitely had a mysterious sort of role, and for a little bit of the film, I thought there was a potential that she. Um, was a little bit on the German side. So th- so there was that mystery there. Uh, I didn't buy into it too much. <laughs> mm. I, I always knew she was going to end up being a good guy, right? But I, I thought the character was intriguing at least. Um, I wish she would have had more to do, right? Yeah. As like her own independent character instead of just kind of bouncing off of others. But... Um, she did show some, some courage in in certain moments. Uh, like when she had to hide Griffin, um, and had to cover up for Griffin. So I thought Maria as a character was was pretty compelling. Yeah. I I thought she was interesting. I'm with you. Uh, I feel like she just needed a couple scenes to give her a little more time to shine. That's probably about, and that probably would have done her some justice. What about your, uh, most memorable line award? Well, my most memorable line award it was just a line that I thought was kind of silly. And uh, it's after Stoffer and Akito have just 
perished. And Heiser is looking on. <laughs> and Heiser is kind of a joke, right? He's, he's yes. just this joke character throughout the entire film. And he says, I am the power. <laughs> it's like, I don't think it was supposed to be a joke, but the way that it comes off is just really funny to me. Um, yeah, he's not intimidating at all. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Uh, yeah, mine was by uh, Mr. Griffin Jr. He said, uh, you Nazis, I pity the devil when you boys start arriving in bunches. I thought, <laughs> uh, I thought that's such a cool line. That's a cool one. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Was that right at the beginning? No, that was uh, actually when he's, I think he's in the cell with oh, right, uh, right. Heiser. And I think yeah, he's actually yeah. talking to Heiser in that scene. Yep. Nice. No, that's a good one. What about Can't Believe That Acting Award? Uh, I got to give it to um, Cedric Harwick as uh, Conrad Stoffer. Uh, and you mentioned the scene earlier, but when he's got the invisible man held at gunpoint in the chair... Uh-huh. Such a great scene, uh, a showcase for his acting chops. And Very cool. Yeah. I just thought he did such a great job at being that intimidating um, Nazi. <laughs> yeah, the Stoffer was right. Stoffer is the he most feels so intelligent Nazi. too in that moment, right? Like yeah. this is this was his plan, all that. He's very different than literally all the other Nazis in this film, mm. <laughs> who are all <Yeah>. idiots. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, no, that, that's a good choice. Um, Stoffer is interesting. Cedric or Cedric Harwick does a great job. Um, mine is probably, it's gotta be one of the best performances of a white guy of, for a Japanese character. <laughs> 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 and that is Peter Lore, uh, as the Baron. Now, Peter Lore, of course, is known as this guy who could be pretty terrifying. You, you, you might have saw him, Alex, like in film class in that movie M. Um, it, he's, it, he's just got such an interesting look about him um, that is inherently mysterious. Every word that comes out of his mouth, too, you're interested in what he has to say. His delivery is pinpoint every single time. Um, so despite the, the questionable casting choice, um, his performance itself was actually really strong. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I've, I absolutely loved him in this. Yeah. Um, what about your uh, That's a Good Shot Award? Well, I, I, honestly, I was having trouble thinking of a shot that stood out to me once I finished the film. But then I just came back to that rocking chair shot. Mm. Um, and just the rocking chair. Uh, rocking back and forth. Maybe it's a little bit like my camel shot from <laughs> from a from a couple of weeks ago. Nothing <laughs> too special. Might it be. Just, it's just a moment that I'm gonna remember. It's just kind of stuck in my my head. Um, so the chair rocking back and forth with nobody on it. Mm. Super compelling. Yes, very compelling. Wow. <laughs> How about you? Uh, yeah, I gotta give it to the opening shot of the film. It's actually a pretty cool, almost classic. I feel like fifties. Uh, well, I mean, I know this is forties, but fifty shot. I feel like I see even more where it starts up high, and it's a it's of the street. They're all there's all our characters in the street, and the shot stops starts by this light bulb, and then it sweeps down, uh, like it's uh, on a crane, and it goes yeah. down. It's just probably the most dynamic shot of the film it where yeah. they're able to move it around. So I really appreciated that one. 
completely forgot about that one. So yeah, that was a good shot though. Um, all right, our unique awards. <laughs> better Alex. than your rocking chair. <laughs> it's a little bit better than my rocking chair yeah, shot. Yeah. <laughs> our unique awards. Um, I had the most enthusiastic Nazi award, Alex. Oh, uh-huh. And this goes to. <laughs> oh boy. This goes to the. Uh, there's a guy. Once things go awry for Stoffer um, in his interrogation scene, and Griffin has lit the room on fire. Oh yeah. <laughs> a bunch of Nazis come in, right? And Stoffer orders them to get Griffin. Well, one of them just like runs and jumps over the desk. Yes. <laughs> Head first. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Right? Head first jump over the desk. So that was the most enthusiastic Nazi award goes to Head first jumping after an invisible man, Nazi. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's like, what was he going to protect himself with right there? Like, I no it, idea. the chances of him landing on the guy was so slim. Like, but yeah. But yeah. hey, at least he loved his job. Well, I guess he's a Nazi, so that's not a good thing. Um, the, my award was the next Jason Bateman award. Mm. Um, and. I uh, I gave this to oh I said Jason Bateman <laughs> the next Patrick Bateman award uh, <laughs> same person same person uh, same person and I gotta give that to um, our best buddy Mister uh, we'll see what it is Baron Aquito mm. man I could see him murdering every single person in this movie. <laughs> Patrick Bateman, of course, is American Psycho. Yes. And not the lead actor in Arrested Development, Jason Bateman. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Easy to confuse the two. Oh, yeah. They're very similar. (laughs) And unlike American... You know what? We should do American Psycho sometime for... uh, That is a monster movie. It is a monster movie. That's a monster movie right there. That's Uh, one of our favorites. (laughs) Yeah, you introduced me to that one. That one is intense. Yeah, that... That one rocked me for a while. Definitely up there. Um, all right, Alex. Final thoughts and tiered rating. I'll go first. I, th- I think I'm a little bit lower on this film than you. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I-, I think this film is all over the place. As I already said, the tone mismanagement really gets me. It's it's hard. This is a hard ask, right? Whenever you have a spy thriller comedy about Nazis, that- that's a hard ask. I, I commend the film for trying it. Um, <laughs> I, I commend the film for trying. I just think there are probably better examples out there of this sort of satire, partially, that it tries to do. And there are definitely better examples of spy thrillers. Mm. So besides the Invisible Man stuff, which we've seen before, this doesn't offer me anything New. So, with that said, this is a a low gamma tier, borderline gamma tier film for me. Um, it, it's it's rather low in my ranking here of Universal Monster, if we can call this a Universal Monster film. Alex, huh. how about you? I thought for sure for you this was going to be a definite, a definitive gamma tier. But it's, for me, yeah, this is probably a this is I, I'm not actually too far from you. I'm not I'm not near a Gabra tier, but this is probably a lower Gamera tier for me. 
Um, I do like a lot of aspects of this film, and mostly from a historical perspective. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I can actually <laughs> give points to this movie just because of its historical perspective. Right, it's like shot in time, right? Yeah, it's it, that's an interesting point, though. It's like, can we? It's an interesting showcase, I guess, of this specific time period. Whether it was handled correctly or not, in all cases, no. But it does kind of capture that moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in an interesting sort of way. Yeah. So I don't know if I can quite use like you know German, the Japanese and German sentiment at the time as points for the movie. Um, but I do like a lot of the characters in this. I like their interactions when the invisible antics are not present um, for the most part. You know, the German Invisible Man, uh, Stoffer Invisible Man sequence is pretty great. Mm-hmm. But the comedy really brings this down. It slows down the movie too much. And, you know, I think it's because the movie starts so strong. And I actually think it ends all right. You know, I don't need the love scene at the very end, but it's it's whatever. It's fine. It's not bothering me too much. Uh-huh. But I'm going to give this a low gamma tier. I, I felt like it was on the cusp of being something very, very special. And it just dropped the ball. Uh, one too many times to be anything other than that rating. Yeah. What I'm interested in, Alex, is what our friend and listener, Chris Degel, thinks about this film. Oh, really? Does Is he a big... Uh... Well, he's German, Alex. Or, oh, yeah. I, well, I think he's German. I just he's, hope he doesn't German. find it too relatable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's probably hating me right now oh yeah probably (laughs) Uh, Chris send us your thoughts and your hate mail to mvmpod at gmail.com and we'll read your hate towards Alex on the show yeah Um, yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, Alex next week we've got The Mummy's Tomb Uh, do you have any sort of rhyme for The Mummy's Tomb oh I hope that this mummy's tomb doesn't spell doom for this podcast because if it's bad, I just won't last. Ooh. Hey, that was pretty good. <laughs> Off the top of my head. <laughs> that was pretty good. All right. Will the mummy's tomb not be scary as we assume? Or will I be poo-pooing in my fruit of the loom? <laughs> 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 that was pretty good, Eric. That was we'll find good. out. Yeah, we'll find out next week, Alex, if we are poo pooing soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope we don't. As always, thank you for listening to Monsters vs. Men. We definitely want to hear from you, Chris, especially. Email us at mvmpod <laughs> at gmail.com or go to mvmpod.com to leave us your feedback on Invisible Agent. Send us your thoughts and we will read them on the show. You can also follow us and message us on Twitter and Instagram at MVM underscore pod. As we mentioned, you can become a bargain base mite, a patron over at patreon.com forward slash MVM pod and receive weekly bonus content, including right now happening starting this week. It'll be an intermittent series, our universal silent horror mini series. And if you can't help monetarily at this time, a review on your favorite podcasting platform always helps. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornette. Executive producers are Faye Basier, John Freeman, and Michael Herndon. 
Special thanks to our wives, comma, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, which forms cell block B, Louis Loops, Senior Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next week, don't fall asleep while driving a plane. <laughs> and try to stay alive. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. What if James Bond had zero sex appeal? That's what this movie is.